Hello, welcome back to Pod Save Africa. It's Akende Adirele here again. Thank you for bearing with us over our long summer break. I've spent the time traveling, learning more about myself, and truly just taking a break. I've, however, missed Pod Save Africa, though, and I've missed every single one of my listeners. I've missed bringing you news and facts and stories every week, and I'm excited to continue to do so. During my brief sabbatical, I've had the great opportunity to meet a few incredible people, some of whom I'd like to highlight in this mini-season prior to the beginning of our season. There are five of them, and I'm excited to share the thoughts and the conversation I had with them. Next up on this list of the fascinating people I've met is Chimi. If I were to describe him in two words, I would describe him with the words the changer. Please enjoy this listening. Jimmy, how about you tell me and tell my listeners about yourself? Hey, what's going on, y'all? What's going on, man? My name is CMD Chime. I go by Chime. Yeah. Um, I'm from Southside Chicago. Okay. Uh, I went to Ohio State uh, University. I transferred from Chicago University to, to Ohio State University. To pursue agriculture engineering, that's what I am now. Okay. Independent crop consultant. Okay. Um, and I I got into that really mainly because of my social justice background. Okay. And a lot of studying that I've done um, around you know a lot of social issues that have affected many parts of where I live in Southside Chicago, West Holman, okay, and, uh, Richmond Park, South Suburbs, and everything uh-huh. like that, and uh-huh. just like the the food deserts right. uh, that have been out there. Right. As far as uh, not having strong access to grocery stores, to right. to uh, healthy foods inside of you know middle schools, high schools, grammar schools, all that. Okay. Um, me like noticing that there was fast food restaurants across the street from every single school that I've ever went to. Oh wow! Very weird. Okay. And then um uh even even. The, the access to education around issues of uh, food sovereignty and and issues of like environmental racism and things like that. Okay. And um, like I, I didn't really know the term, understand the term right. environmental justice or environmental racism or food desert, quote unquote food deserts right. until my junior year of college. Okay. And. You know, Oh, yeah, good. Wait, so I, so I, sorry, I was I was doing my background research. Of course, first of all, I didn't even catch that you were from the South Side of Chicago because I also just moved to Columbus from Chicago. So that's that's really dope. But um, the question I was going to ask is that you you were at some point studying or a mechanical engineer, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. At first, when I first transferred to Ohio State, uh, okay, I transferred for aerospace engineering because I wanted to you know work with planes, okay, stuff like that, and spacecraft. Which is still like pretty cool. Like I still like find interest. Okay. In, you know, planes and things like that. Yeah. Okay. That's 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 awesome. I was just checking in because I was like, wait, okay, like I didn't know that. But um, but um, so far, like, so you said you're you're currently you're currently you're currently working in your field. Um, are you you so you consult? What does that look like? Uh, I'm I'm curious to it because I don't think a lot of my listeners might have any idea of what that looks like. What type of people you work with? Um, and how you're affecting change. Do you, you mind telling me more about that? Oh, yeah, most definitely. So it's like my main thing, because um, 
many engineers, especially engineers of color, you know, have all been told, uh, you know, through our, our, our time in college that like, oh, you know, you don't need to worry about all those social justice organizations. You don't need to worry about all those uh, cultural organizations and groups and stuff in school because you're an engineer. You're going to be guaranteed a job right. after college. And it's a very, like, elitist culture uh, that, that, that it, it, it implants inside your mind. Right. And especially, like, after a lot of us graduate, uh, right. people of color or, or blacks, right. black folks uh, graduate with STEM, STEM, STEM uh, degrees, right? Background. Right. Yeah, STEM degrees. Um, a lot of times, like, we get these corporate corporate jobs and, and jobs with, like, big industries and things like that. Right. And we kind of turn our backs on our own community. Yeah. What would it look like if we had folks with these with these high expertise of STEM fields, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, mm. uh, that really use those things to not only educate and create outreach uh, for, for communities of color in, in, in a grassroots type fashion, okay. but like use those skills and expertise to help to, to build solutions for a lot of these economic and environmental and just classes and races um, uh, issues that we have playing okay. in our communities. I feel you, I feel you. And that's, that's really profound. Now, I'd like to go into the topic of food, food deserts. I also uh, lived on the south side of Chicago and Bronzeville for a little while, for about seven years of my life. And, you know, that was one of the stark things I realized, you know, just the dearth of places to get healthy food once you pass the, you know, what what is the good line? Once you pass, like... The, the near south side once you pop past like Roosevelt it just started getting much much worse and things are much farther and further away and then all you see is KFCs and McDonald's like do you mind going exactly. more into like how that happened how did we get to the point where you know generally where people of color live there are simply not places to get good food like healthy food food that's good for you um, and it's the other way you know you mentioned you mentioned you know environmental war- warfare do you mind sharing us sharing with me a little bit more about that yeah, most definitely. I mean, from my understanding of it and just from experience, it's okay. always done dealt with uh, white flight. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, where I'm from in the south side of Chicago and even like the south suburb areas uh, where I've seen um, is like the neighborhoods, a lot of times I would call um, like white flight airports going only one direction, like only, only you know, taking departures. Mm. Or some stuff. Okay. Uh, because because like a lot of times what happens is like once the white affluent or middle class residents start moving out, then a lot of the businesses start moving out too. Oh, I and, see. Uh, when you have like these neighbor neighbor um communities and towns like like I'm from Richmond Park, so okay. you have like uh, Orland Park or Tilly Park, right? Um, that you know have a little more more uh, money, like, right. white, right? Uh, yeah, white predominant. Uh, population. Okay. It's like you want more folks to come out there. You want like more business and everything to come out there. You want more money to come out there. So it forces the people who live in like Madison or Richmond Park or West Pullman or any of the inner South Side inner city or or South Suburb uh, Black predominantly areas right. to to drive those like twenty miles or thirty miles outside the neighborhood to go and uh, patronize these businesses like Orland right. Mall or something like that. Right, and right. it gives all the money to to those districts, Jeez. and takes all the money away from our own districts. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, 
environmental warf- warfare and it, em- environmental justice has everything to do with mass incarceration. And uh-huh. we see that with mass incarceration when you uh, you have a, a predominantly black community right. where most of the residents are then incarcerated and the prison yeah. is located inside like a rural white community. Uh-huh. And when city censuses, when, when, you, when, when cities take uh, account of the, the population oh, and the residents in the area, right, they, right. they count the people who live in the jails, even even though they can't vote or anything like that because they're locked up, even though they're not, you know, part of the community right. that, that the prison is based in, right. they're counted. They count as part of the population. Right. So all the money is sent there. Oh. Uh, they're taken out of their, their black community. Okay. The black community now has a lower population. Okay. And the money is then taken away from uh, those communities. I see, I see. And, you know, how how do you, I mean, this sounds like a unbelievably, you know, first of all, the what you just explained is not even a way in which I've ever heard it framed or known. And that's probably because my research on this is limited. But, you know, how is how is it being fought against? For example, somebody like you and the work you do and the people you work with, how are you trying to combat this? How are we working against this? And how do we make it even, you know, how do we... Ch- increase our efforts so I'm, i work on it um through very uh, a lot of different uh spheres uh one of them is you know through my community organizing that i do okay it's like say organizations like people's justice project that's okay. based out here in columbus ohio yeah uh, but that that works uh very uh, uh statewide though okay. but um fights against issues of mass incarceration and and for for families and individuals affected by mass incarceration, mm. and, and you know works for work the working class uh, community residents and, and the, the communities of color as well. Okay. And uh, one thing that we're really trying to push is this ballot initiative. It's the uh, what is it the it's the neighborhood safety drug and treatment rehabilitation bill that we're trying okay. to get passed this November. We're trying to get on on the uh, the ballot okay. uh, this November this year. And what it does is basically like four things. It, it drops all nonviolent drug offenses down to misdemeanors, mm. and that happens retroactively. Okay. So if somebody's oh. serving time right now right, for right. an addiction. Right. Um, they can they can have this sentence uh, dropped all the way, or or they can have a lot of their years dropped off, and they can be put into real rehabilitation programs. Right. Help. Uh, secondly, right. it fights against the the probation to prison pipeline, where sadly when you're on probation. Uh, if you don't meet with your your PO officer, right. uh, your, your, your parole officer, you could be sent back to prison. Wow. If you don't get a job right away, you could be sent back to prison. Wow. Um, if if you you know get caught with with some possession or something like that, you could be sent back to prison. Right. Immediately, instead of you know somebody coming in and and trying to figure out how do we you know adjust uh, yeah. your rehabilitation right. to to really Just... acclimate you back to a community. Huh. Um. So so it knocks out the whole probation to prison pipeline where you can't be sent back to prison for okay. nonviolent offenses to your to, to, to your record right sentence. right yeah and then thirdly uh what it does is the the every two days that you spend in rehabilitation okay. programs while you're incarcerated okay is one day off your sentence and oh, like that's just I a see. start that's not that's not a perfect number but that's just a start okay and then fourthly in I won't always say fourthly and more importantly as far as like the work that I do, right. um, the money that is then being saved if this, if this bill gets passed and okay. gets, you know, voted for and everything like that, right. the money that's being saved from not locking up all these homies is right. being reinvested into real, genuine, and community-led 
rehabilitation programs. Huh. And that can look like so many different things because it's not just about healing the community, it's about giving a community solutions okay. while healing at the same time, you know what I'm saying? And one of my solutions is with a lot of this environmental justice stuff uh-huh. uh, around food access, but also just resource access, period. Like uh-huh. all your basic needs as a human being, water, food, shelter, recreation, right. healthcare, all that stuff. So it's like, it's about promoting black businesses. When we say boycott uh, Wendy's or boycott Walmart because of their investment or boycott Wells Fargo because their investment probably on prisons or their investment in the pockets of city officials who right. show that they have no concern for the health disparities and the social disparities of its uh, black residents. Right. Um, when we say, you know, divest from, from those big companies, we have to have alternatives. Cause mm. it, it may be easy for me to not go to Wendy's anymore right. or not go to Walmart anymore. Right. But is it as easy for someone who's working four different jobs huh. who, you know, has a bunch of kids, right. you know, who live in a very uh, decrepit neighborhood? Yeah. It's, it's not as easy for them to just simply not go to Walmart anymore when they have to raise kids. They have to right. give them diapers. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's not as easy for them. Uh, they don't know how to, if they don't have access to cooking or access to groceries, it's not as easy for them just not to go to Wendy's anymore. Yeah. So we have to uh, promote these black businesses that we want people to invest in, and we have to uh, develop them and, and educate, give people public political education yeah. all at the same time. So that's, that's, that's how I, uh, I, I spearhead okay. all the different avenues uh, that I do together. Oh, that's that's man, that's phenomenal work. You have a very thorough outlay of what you like to go after, and you know how's that process? And and you know after that, I kind of want to talk about you personally, how you came to doing all this even in more detail. But how's that work? Um, you're you're essentially trying to your your work is probably leveraged around the the goodness of human beings. You there are a lot of people. I, I figure you have to convince to decide to do the right thing or to get involved in the right thing or to help people that, you know, may not be able to compensate them any or whatsoever. Um, how do you, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. I mean, <clears throat> it's really just about building relationships. Like okay. at the end of the day, uh, people have to trust people and you have to be able to build relationships with people that you can connect to. Okay. And it's not always about, um, me having to experience the same thing that someone else experienced for me to build a relationship with them, but right. me being able to identify that, like, yo, what you're going through is fucked up, and I might not experience the same thing, but, um, like, the the issues that I've dealt with, or how, you know, racism, or classism, or sexism, or how just, you know, this effed up, uh, uh, system that we that we lived in of that we live in a, of oppression right. affects me and like how does that connect to how uh, if if you're free I'm I'm free right. you know what I'm saying when you free a person that's that's dealing with the most uh, BS then you're freeing everybody uh, at the top you know what I'm saying everything right. has to work from the bottom up huh. so sure. it's, it's a lot of times about building relationships and it's also about um, humbling yourself and, and meeting people where they at okay. and credible messages. So it's like meeting people where that is like, you don't need to go into the hood and try to tell folks uh, about the issues that they're facing. They they they, they know, know full yeah, well. They're facing. They know full well. They just might not have the the quote unquote academic jargon. Right. And that's exactly what I like. I I'm I'm a I'm, I'm a testament to that. Where it's like I saw what was going on in my neighborhood as far as like access, hmm. lack of access to resources. But I just didn't know the the terms for it. Right. You know what I'm saying? And it's like when you come in to to a community.
academia in academic terms and things right. like that, it, it it goes over their head and kind of like patronizes them huh. in, in a very uh, negative and just right. effed up type of way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I feel it. I feel it. And and you, that's how you that's how you manage it, kind of meeting them where where they are where they're at you know exactly okay that, that makes and sense if, and if i can't reach somebody i can reach somebody who can reach that person it's uh, all about credible messengers so it's like maybe i can't reach that person because i can't connect to them i can't speak their language okay uh whatever their you know uh social language may be okay but or or experience or whatever like that but there's somebody i probably can't and that person can reach another person so it's always about developing new leaders constantly all right all right and and you know just on a person more personal note how you know, I, I think, so you, you said at some point, you know, you were studying uh, mechanics, not, you were going to be an aerospace engineer. That, of course, like you said, um, you know, for a lot of us, you know, young people of color, we think that, you know, we're, we're getting to these majors. These things are essentially going to be our economic come up. Um, we're going to get these degrees and suddenly we're going to be able to earn income that's way more than our parents ever earned. And this, that and the next. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how did you did anything significant happen in your life? Um, that that kind of just geared you in a direction where you knew you were going to go this way. Um, you know, a lot of people don't do that. That's just the the, the honest truth. Um, and I, I'm just wondering, yeah. you know, how how did how what happened with you that that made you go this way? Um, I would say that like uh, I've been like I, I I come from a neighborhood that like I said didn't have a lot of resources, and you know it wasn't it wasn't very violent or, like, dangerous in that type of sense uh, okay. in the neighborhood. But there was, like, BS that was going on. But I was privileged enough where my parents, you know, made a decent living that okay. I saw those things, but right. I didn't always have to be affected by those things as much. Hmm. And um, I think that always gave me a, a strong perspective of, of knowing something exists without having to always uh, be in confrontation with it. And then, hmm. you know, that kind of stayed with me uh, throughout high school, and when I got an opportunity in high school to, you know, be because I was older and because I could be a part of like social clubs and things like that. Right. When I got opportunities to volunteer and kind of, you know, um, represent more than just myself, represent organizations and, and volunteer with city organizations and things like that. I got I fell in love with that. You know what I'm saying? OK. And, you know, I went to college, got, got a little more of uh, political education. Right. Right. And what I really wanted to do was to to fund um, a lot of these different organizations that were that were moving on uh, these 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 causes these these strong causes that they that they were so passionate about. So you know, I made a philanthropy right. uh, by like my senior year of high school or my freshman year of college. Huh. I made a philanthropy, and like my main thing behind that was I wanted to be I didn't want to be like how other philanthropists were, okay. where it's like philanthropy was like their second uh, thing that they do. It's like they oh, well, you know, I'm Bill Gates and yeah, right, like, right. I'm a millionaire and I right. got this business. But yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I give some money to random places, blah, right. blah, blah. And I saw that with colleges where you would have alumni that would like reach back by just throwing money at a college so that the college would, with, you know, their greedy intentions a lot of times, would just yeah. put all that money into wherever they see fit, not where it was needed. Right, right. So, you know, that that really uh, drove my, uh, my, my passion to be a philanthropist. But, you know, as I got older, it goes back into the whole not knowing um, all the academia, but just knowing mm-hmm. what something is, but right. just not knowing how to define it. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, as I got a little bit older, 
I started doing more uh, social organizing, uh, community organizing, stuff like that, community building. Okay. And I felt as though that that that's what that's 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 what my calling was as far as the like that's like philanthropy isn't what I wanted to do. Right. It's like there there's some other term of what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. and maybe it was social justice. And when I did that, then. I didn't look at aerospace in the same way that I did before, where it's like, okay, I was doing aerospace because aerospace was, you know, engineering. I love engineering. I love working with my hands. Right. And it was like, you know, working with planes, and I love planes and stuff like that. Right. But then it also, uh, you know, was a high-paid engineering. Like, right. it's aerospace and nuclear engineers, high-paid. Yeah. So yeah. if I'm trying to do a philanthropy, then I need money, and, right. and aerospace make a lot of money, mm. blah, blah. Uh, but when I started I changing my focus uh, from philanthropy and like, uh, I guess funding things a lot, and like monetary, uh, monetary donations and monetary assistance. Right. Um, and more so, I, I changed my focus to like building communities and building leaders and building individuals and having those individuals who are affected by these issues be at the forefront of uh, fighting this, these issues. Yeah. Then I was like, you know, how what what allows me to you know work with my hands and everything like that but allows me to build leaders like that. And I started thinking about, you know, where I'm from in Chicago. Okay. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like the, the access to food, access to land. Because it was mm-hmm. just a bunch of abandoned facilities and abandoned plots. Yeah. Like that nothing still is, is built on. And you right. see that out yeah. in Columbus as well in the lending community. Yeah. Uh, when I started thinking about that, uh, then the funny thing is uh, I always used to take those tests back in like middle school, all the way to high school, all the way to like, you know, my first year in college okay. that, that, you know, uh, ask about, you know, your, your interests and things you like doing, and then they'll tell you what job you should be in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at the end of it. So I used to always take that and I will always get farming, you know what I'm saying? I'd always get agriculture and I'm like, yeah. I don't want to be no damn farmer. Like, <laughs> because a lot of times in the black community, right. we associate, uh, agriculture with like antebellum slavery and things yeah. like that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And which is understandable in a way because we've right. been kind of conditioned to do that. But right. you know, black people of of you know the the Pan African uh, uh, community all over the world, like we're a very land oriented people. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. like we built this. You right. know what I'm saying? Um, and when I just started thinking about all that, it it all came together. It was just like agriculture, engineering. Like that's what I should do. Like sustainable plant systems, right. agronomy, horticulture, all that. Like that's what I want to do. I still don't consider myself a farmer. Okay. I more so consider myself an agriculturalist because, like, I do everything when it comes to land. I see, I see. Um, and and just you know, you 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 touch on the point on building and developing leaders. Um, now all over the world, just like you said, um, there are Africans everywhere trying to Africans and people of African dis- descent, people from the African Caribbean, African American diaspora of of all kinds of all sorts and all in all shapes sizes that are trying to figure out ways to kind of do what you're doing, to start community organizing, start to make change, period. Um, whatever the, whatever their version of, of their own truth is, um, you know, what would you say, what advice would you give people as far as getting started, you know? Because I would imagine it's an easy thing to do. I don't believe it is, uh, personally, given my own experiences. But um, I'd like to hear from you, you know, what, what would be your, you know, top, you know, three things to first do. <clears throat> I would say, and I always want to get a tattoo of this, but it's about okay. power, history. You know, it's, it's history, power, and, and direction. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Uh, I'm trying to create an organization that's kind of like based around those three things, too, where it's like uh, we need to, and it's a generational thing as well, where it's like 
we need a generation uh, that will supply us and guarantee us history. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm. like all of our knowledge of the past, all the uh, logistical and the foundational uh, knowledge and, and education, you know what I'm saying? Like what we've done in the past, what, okay. what works in the past, without without romanticizing the past as we often do yeah. uh, in the social justice, you know, spheres, or like the civil rights and the black power movements and stuff like that. Right. Like that, that, that strong um, uh, knowledge of history, and if we have that, then we we won't ever run into things where it's like, oh, well, black folks don't do agriculture. Well, oh, black folks yeah. don't do hiking. You know, right, so right, we don't right. get in touch with nature like that. Right, like right. you know, like black folks, we do so many different things. Like yeah. we can do any and almost everything. You know, what I'm saying? right? Any, any and everything. Right. Um, uh, then getting that power and power. Uh, a lot of times we have a negative connotation with power, a negative uh, association with power because we see power as like you know the president or like mm. individuals we see like one person who has all this power you know one no no not one no one man should have all that power Kanye line right 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 like that right um but but power can can yes come from one person who has you know a lot of money and things like that it can come from positions mm. blah blah it can come from governments but at the same time power can just come from numbers like when you got a bunch of bodies in a room that's power right there that's why like churches you know, mm. with, with strong fellowships, that's why concerts, uh, when people go to open mics and things like that, you have all those people in the crowd, like, that's, that's power in the room. You have, you tell me, when you go to an open mic, that everybody in that room can agree, at least on one thing, that, like, they enjoy poetry or open right. mics or whatever it is. Right, Like, right. at a concert, everyone can agree that they mess with Kendrick Lamar or whoever the artist is, like, mm -hmm. and that's all we need is, is a bunch of people in the room that agree on one thing bunch of people who have so many different differences but can agree on at least one thing and that's what a lot of times uh uh messes up um uh a lot of things that we as people of color and communities of color uh do is because our 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 opponents or our oppressors mm -hmm. like have 30,000 things uh that that you know 30,000 differences but can agree on one thing to, mm. to hate black folks, you know what I'm saying? Right, right, <laughs> you know, right. To, to strip power away from everybody. Right. But then it's like us as as a black community, or Latinx community, or or the Asian community, or or, in, or LGBTQ community, or whatever right. any community you know of, of color or or oppressed community. Like we have so much in common with each other, and even just intersectionally, we have so much in common with each other, and we just might disagree on one thing. I have one thing that's different from each other, and it's like. That, that shouldn't matter, you know what I'm saying? We yeah. we can be in a room, have uh, bodies in a room, and agree on one thing, and that's just enough to make anything move, you know what I'm saying? It's always yeah. about power. Yeah. Other yeah. than um, uh, direction, it, yes. it kind of goes into, um, you know, what we agree on. Like, what is the world that we want to create? Like, we have to start thinking about that. This is, it's a good book um, that I read a few years back by... Uh, author named Robert Robin, I think it's Robin Kelly. Robin okay. Kelly, and the book is called um, Freedom Dreams. Freedom and in the Dreams. book, he discusses how, as as activists or as as community organizers right. or or social justice leaders, we need to start dreaming and being creative and start dreaming of our utopia. Hmm. And when we do that, hmm. then we know. Uh, where we want to go, we we know what we should start changing. You know what I'm saying? And that's like business one on one. Like yeah. when you create a business, you got to put like a vision you out. A vision. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. 
You have to create a vision. Right. You base the mission on the vision, and you create goals based on that vision. Right. And then you make steps to that. Yeah. So that's what we have to start doing. Oh, creating that direction, having power as 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 as, as bodies, right. people power. Right. And and always basing everything on our history yeah. and our knowledge of that. That that yo, that is such a profound like outlay of just kind of, and it's so robust as well, man. I'm. First of all, thank you personally because I, I learned. I really appreciate you saying those three things: power, history, and direction. I'm not sure if I got the order right, but you know, just it, no, it's all good. Yeah, it's just it's, it's there. Those are things we often miss, you know. Um, and, and I appreciate you sharing that. Um, one of my one of my my last questions for you is about kind of today. Um, I think that it wouldn't be unusual to say black activism. Um, you know especially in the United States has been prominent lately um, because we've had to be um, the, the events that, that um, the events that have occurred over the, that throughout the history of blackness and with the increase mm-hmm. with the increase, you know, prominence now at this point in time, uh, how, how do we manage that? Cause I'm realizing two things. Um, first of all, you know, because there's so much visibility initially, you know, we were really angry. You know, we, we people were behind everything and anything. You know, we, we put the names on our shirts. We tattooed the, the names on our bodies. We have the faces in our houses. Um, but, you know, it's happened so many times. Um, and just to eliminate any confusion, I mean, the shooting of black people um, by by law enforcement officers uh, and, and, and just by people generally, um, the kind of the degradation of, of the black life. Um, I feel like there's coming to a point where there's a little bit of a fatigue now, you know, people are, people, people are throwing their hands up in the air. How, you know, how do you say, what would you say to people like that? What would be the encouragement? Um, and, and not just for this issue, you know, we got people all over the world in African countries who know that their governments don't protect their lives and never gave a damn. Um, who know that, you know, all the people ahead of them, you know, just, just don't, are, are only self-invested, you know, for the people, for the people and for the black people of the world and people of color of the world who feel hopeless right now, um, what, what would you say to them? That's a good question. <laughs> now I wrestle with that like every single day, uh, cause for all the reasons that you said, and it's just like, I think, uh from all these years of dealing with like pain and anguish, like by, you know, 2018, mm-hmm. we Roma's conditioned to, to feel as though uh, depression and oppression mm-hmm. uh, is part of black culture. You know what I'm saying? It's just part, part of being black to, to be uh, victimized. You know right. what I'm saying? Um, no, that's a real good question. <laughs> um, now I'll just say to, to, just never give up, you know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, at the end of the day, um, I've, I've kind of been asked this question before. It's like, at the end of the day, it's, it's about survival. And I think we've always, all humans, have a survival instinct. Mm. But I tend to, to see, and maybe it's just because of my, uh, my me being black, uh, you know what I'm saying? Me being right. able to relate with black folks. Like, I, I see the survival instinct in black folks every single day when, when we go into work. Uh, our survival instinct to to you know just take bullshit that we shouldn't have to take you know what i'm yeah. saying i see our survival instinct when it comes to our 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 um 
our relationships with law enforcement, our interactions rather with law enforcement. I see, you know, our, our survival instinct when it comes to just being impoverished in in communities of color. And I think if we start directing some of that uh, energy and that survival instinct into like, yo, it's, it's kind of like either me or them. And not in the sense where it's like, okay, let's go out and, you know, start arming ourselves and, and you know, waging a war, right. uh, a physical war with, with governments. But more so like, man, I gotta, I gotta free my folks by any means necessary. You know what I'm saying? I gotta, let me deal with this job, but let me, you know, go to this school and get this education. Let me build this. Let me, you know, you right. know, canvas here and get right. all these signatures. Like, right. let me like go and find any and every person that, that will, will agree that they pissed off about this issue. Right. And we just going to like be in the governor's office, just occupying them, that bad boy, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, yeah. and just, just hungry. Like that survival instinct is also about hunger. And it's like, and we start directing that hunger and not towards each other and not towards other folks who have been uh, oppressed in the same ways that we have been, mm. but more so directing all that to the systems, not always individuals, but the systems that have guaranteed our oppression, mm. our oppression, then it's like pillows will start falling. You know what I'm saying? Like right. white supremacy, uh, male supremacy, hetero right. Uh, supremacy will, right. will all fall. You know what I'm saying? I think we have too many quarrels among each other right. and need to start really, um, you know, we hear the term intersectional like right. all the time. Right, right. And I think we need to really start diving into uh, what does it mean to be free and um, what does it mean for, for our community to be intersectional? Because they are like, just, just talking about the black community, black community has so many different identities and we need to first heal ourselves as a community mm. before we can start trying to uh, have other communities heal us because dependency is, is, is another form of power and when we're dependent on each other we're sharing power amongst each other but when we're dependent on a government or we're dependent on our oppressors yeah. to turn around and say sorry or to give us what they owe us right. then we're giving them power and that's, that ain't smart yeah yeah so I got two final questions and this is uh, question I asked just about almost all of my 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 guests. Um, but but the two questions are, um, with everything we've talked about right now, uh, what are you most optimistic about? What excites you about the future? And the second thing is, what are you uh, most pessimistic about? What are you worried about? What are you concerned? What trends are you worried about that you know might 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 make things much worse? Um, so yeah, that you can take it in whatever order you want. But um, you you go ahead and and, and think about that first for a second. Uh, let me know what you think. Yeah, yeah. No, I could probably take both of them at the same time because I think um, I, I'll get, like, the same answer to both of them. Uh, okay. It's just the, the youth, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm. uh, there was a time, you know, doing this work where I was very just depressed mm. uh, in, in the same ways that you was explaining before. It's like, man, we, we do so much to, to get a step forward right. and, and, you know, free folks, and then something just pushes us four steps back. I wrote a poem about, it was, it was, this poem was called If It Ain't In The Hood, Then Where Else? And mm. it's like, it, it connects with stuff like um, the, the Dakota Pipelines. Like, we stopped that from happening. Right. You know what I'm saying? The First Nation community stopped that from happening, but then they just build another pipeline somewhere else. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's like, we could stop them from gentrifying in one neighborhood, but they'll just gentrify a whole other neighborhood. Right. Like, the whole time we're, we're fighting. You know right. what I'm saying? Huh. So, like, it makes you very pessimistic. Right. But, um, I 
think it was about like two years ago, and I was really feeling it then. It was about two years ago, uh, summer of 2016. Yeah, uh-huh. and um, I was working with with kids at uh, University District Freedom School, which you know is a summer based program for right. kids. I think first grade all the way up to uh, uh, high school as well. Right. Uh, first grade all the way up to high school, and just you know teaches them STEM, teaches uh-huh. them uh, uh, reading, okay. mathematics and social justice all at the same time. It just also, uh, you know, gives them a voice and turns them into leaders. And I've, I've witnessed it turning them into leaders. I worked with the high school kids and just seeing how these kids, uh, just from a summer of learning about all these things, reading these books and learning about social justice and, and how, like, everything that they already do and this, the passions and stuff that they like, the art, the art mm-hmm. uh, that they love doing or whatever it is that they want to do in the future, can all be connected to how do we build communities mm. like seeing how they took all that and at the end of the summer in mm-hmm. august mm-hmm. they uh they created a march um mm. from uh, the courthouse to the to the uh the state building downtown okay and it's like they had the whole community with them they had a, it was kids it was kids wow. leading adults wow. and the rest of the community against police brutality you know oh. what i'm saying and wow. demanding justice and just seeing how powerful those kids was, like that's, I, I have nothing but uh, high expectations out of any youth that I work with and out of out of the future. Uh, one of my master teachers and, and favorite uh, mentors I've ever had told me that, you know, he was like in the 70s. He said his generation uh, are the historians and they teach us the history and it's my generation's responsibility to draw the blueprint and it's the next generation's responsibility to build upon that blueprint. Uh, build the structures. Like we have structures of oppression, we need to build structures of community, mm. I guess, you know, structures right. of healing. Right. Structures of autonomy. Right. Um uh, then uh, in the same hand, like my pessimism I mean my uh, the pessimistic thoughts that I have uh about the future probably comes from the youth as well, where it's like what does it look like with all this social media and access to mm. social media and, and movies right. uh, and TV shows that are out that aren't really showing black perspectives as much? Like, mm. we have a few, right. but not as much. And since kids uh, will will find out about something that happens in the news before Channel 2 shows it. If somebody right. gets shot, you know, today in Chicago, like, you can bet a kid who has a Facebook and who has a tablet probably at the already age knows. of, like, right. four. Right. Yeah, we'll already know about it, you right. know what I'm saying, before Channel 2 talks about it and gives their bias about it and everything like that. And because I don't think the, the, the traditional school systems um, are, are, are given the opportunity to really discuss what certain things mean that right. kids are now seeing, right. especially kids of color that are now seeing right. uh, because of social media and because I don't think their parents have the, um, I don't want to say capability, I don't think their parents have the opportunity to be able to discuss those things as well because, you know, the parents are dealing with these issues, right. are, you know, dealing with all these different jobs that they may have right. and everything like that. Um, a lot of times our society isn't giving children uh, the right tools that they need to to um, acknowledge and really evaluate and analyze uh, what they're seeing. You know what I'm saying? Like we... Uh, I think the best example is if a kid is like, what, 10 or something yeah. right now, that kid has seen uh, Barack Obama twice. Yeah. And, what, yeah, seen Barack Obama twice, and now I've seen Trump. 
able to see a, a black man in that position. Right. So it's like that could be a very fruitful thing having uh, that that type of black and white um, perspective, or not perspective, but see, being able to see Barack other than Trump. Right. Um, and growing up in that type of generation, but at the same time, if they're not given uh, uh, a description or they're not uh, given opportunity to discuss what that means, right? Then all that symbolism just goes out the window. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. It like, lacks the importance that it has, right? Exactly. Like you have kids have Kendrick Lamar and J. Cole. It's like that's awesome. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like that that you have mainstream artists who talk about a lot of these social issues and talk about uh kind of be a little more free with your identity and things like that are are, are challenging the, the ideas of masculinity and challenging ideas of like what it means to be black. Right. You know what I'm saying? And because of that now you have like uh Afro futurism mm. and, and Afro punk and things like that. Right. And, you know, higher um increase in like the presence of jazz and, and black culture again especially like for the youth right but if nobody comes in and discuss those things and like what these things mean right. then you know all that stuff is is, is wasteful it's, yeah yeah man wow well Shima, i man i truly appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing your thoughts um it's been a phenomenal conversation uh do you want to just give a final word to my uh listeners Yo, find out and learn as much as you can about this neighborhood safety drug treatment and rehabilitation bill that, that, that we're pushing. A lot of different organizations around the city of Columbus and around Ohio, period, um, are pushing for it, trying to get signatures. Mm. Find out how you can get involved. Educate your, 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 your peers because, you know, after it does get passed, and we will get this win. After we get this win, um, we need people to vote for it. Uh, and after we get that win, and we will get that win, mm-hmm. you speaking to existence. Existence, right? Uh, we need people to know about it, and I right. think that's that's one thing as social organizers. Sometimes we mess up on where it's like we get the uh, we get ex felons the right to vote, but right. then when it comes time for for folks to to need to vote, you have a lot of ex felons that don't know that they can vote because uh, we right. weren't out there after we got the win. Right. We weren't out there telling people like, "Yo, this is the win that we got. This is right. how." Society has now changed, but this is how the city has now changed. Fair enough. Fair enough. Phenomenal. And where can we find you? Where can we find you? Your Twitter, your thoughts, um, your website, the organizations you work with. Uh, where can I find? Where can we find you? You can find me if you look. Uh, if you look up People's Justice Project anywhere on social media, you can also find me at my email. I'm very like open to that. Uh, my email is C M D. Chimeh, that's spelled C-H-I-I-M-E-H, at gmail.com. Right. Uh, you can also find me at the Midwest Movement Project uh, anywhere on social media as well. So that's a Midwest Movement Project. And that's, that's everyone. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so very much, sir. And you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, man. You too. All right. Bye.